1841, the Unitarian minister Theodore Parker stood up before the congregation of the 28th Congregational Church in Boston. If you have any doubts about how deep our New England roots are, the 28th Congregational Church in Boston, and delivered what would become one of our foundational sermons, what would become one of our root documents as Unitarianism grew from the 19th century on. He called it the transient and the permanent in Christianity. And he posited that day a very simple proposition that there was something eternal in the religion that was transmitted from God. This was his own understanding of his Christianity and that there were things that human beings tacked on to that religion from age to age as they tried to interpret it and understand it. Looking at the word of Jesus, he spoke at real Christianity, the pure religion he taught, nothing appears more fixed and certain, he says. Its influence widens as light extends, it deepens as the nations grow more wise. But looking at the history of what men call Christianity, nothing seems more uncertain and perishable. While true religion is always the same thing in each century and every land in each man that feels it, the Christianity of the pulpit, which is the religion taught, the Christianity of the people, which is the religion that is accepted and lived out, has never been the same thing in any two centuries or lands except only in name. An undue place has often been assigned to forms and doctrines, while too little stress has been laid on the divine life of the soul, love to God and love to man. And that was his heart of the eternal religion, love to God and love to man. Anyone who traces the history of what is called Christianity will see that nothing changes more from age to age than the doctrines taught as Christian and insisted on as essential to Christianity and personal salvation. What is falsehood in one province passes for truth in another. The heresy of one age is the orthodox belief and only infallible rule of the next. There are things that are eternal in religion and things that change with time as we human beings relate to our world and come to understand things and grow in wisdom and knowledge. We try to square what little we can grasp of the eternal with what we know about the finite world we live on. And we try over and over again, time and time again, to make statements of faith to make statements about what it is we believe, what we hold dear, what our values are. We have tried over centuries to engage and explain the, the cross-play of the eternal and the ephemeral. The Nicene Creed, an early attempt in Christianity about three centuries after Jesus died, an attempt to codify what it was Christianity was because there were a billion different Christianities at that point. 
And in order to gain a little control over the Byzantine Empire, Constantine said, come on, church fathers, come here, get it together. Let's figure out what it is, because I can't hold dominion over you all if we're not all believing the same thing. And the Apostles' Creed that the Roman Catholics profess grew out of that as well. And those statements of faith were all attempts at an orthodoxy, a statement of right belief. If you are part of this religion, these are the things you must believe. And then came the Unitarians and the Universalists, and after them, the Unitarian Universalists, and my God, I don't think Orthodox would apply to us in any sense of the word. And yet, we have tried over the centuries to codify what it is we value, what it means to be a Unitarian Christian, what it means to be a Universalist, what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist today. Back in 1819, William Ellery Channing, who was the founder of the American Unitarian Association, tried to put into some codification in a sermon he gave what it was that Unitarian Christianity stood for. The Bible was written for humankind and needs to be read like any other book. Jesus is of one mind and one soul like we are and must be understood that way, distinct from God, the Unitarian part of Unitarianism. God is infinitely just and compassionate. God is love. And God sent the human Jesus to remind us all of that love and try to bring us all back into the fold. Not to try to convince God to change his mind by sacrificing himself, but to try to convince human beings to just be better. We can all return to the light of God's love. Now that was given in a sermon. It was never codified or voted upon or passed as an official statement of faith, but it stood for, a long, for several decades as kind of a core of what Unitarianism was as it was growing. Unitarian minister James Freeman Clark in 1885, in his own sermon on the five points of the new theology, tried to codify in much simpler terms what it was that Unitarians valued and professed the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the leadership of Jesus, salvation by character, and the progress of mankind onward and upward forever. I love that last point so much. Humans are funny. Onward and upward forever. And those five points held in the hearts and minds of Unitarians for decades, even though that was never an official statement of Unitarian theology, value, any of that. Churches were kind of responsible individually for figuring out what it was that they stood for. In 1894, the Reverend James Viva Blake was minister at the Church of All Souls in Evanston, Illinois, one of our congregations there. And he penned a little poem-ish thing 
to be the profession of faith, of value for his congregation. And it went like this, love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love and to help one another. This may be sounding a tad familiar at this point, yes? This was a beloved statement. It still sits in our own hymnal today, and churches have adopted it as their own and adapted it and modified it and set it to music and made art out of it. This is a very much beloved profession of Unitarian values. And it was never official. It was never accepted universally as the Unitarian doctrine of the faith. Love is the doctrine of this church. We say it every week. In 1961, after being kissing cousins for decades and decades, the Unitarians and the Universalists finally got it together and merged as one church, what we know as the Unitarian Universalist Association today. And in drafting their bylaws for the association, not for congregations, because we are a congregational polity church, we are governed from the ground up, they needed to name their purposes as an organization and the things that they stood for. And so in 1961, they passed their whole bylaws, including Article 2, which was the purposes and the principles of the Unitarian Universalist Association, what the organization existed to do and what they stood for. and they proposed six principles. In accordance with these corporate purposes, the members of the Unitarian Universalist Association dedicated to the principles of a free faith unite in seeking to strengthen one another in a free and disciplined search for truth as the foundation of our religious fellowship, to cherish and spread the universal truths taught by the great prophets and teachers of humanity in every age and tradition immemorially summarized in the Judeo-Christian heritage as love to God and love to man. There's our Parker. To affirm, defend, and promote the supreme worth of every human personality, the dignity of man, and the use of the democratic method in human relationships. To implement our vision of one world by striving for a world community founded on ideals of brotherhood, justice and peace, to serve the needs of member churches and fellowships, to organize new churches and fellowships, and to extend and strengthen liberal religion, and to encourage cooperation with men of goodwill in every land. Now what we're describing here and what was passed at that time was not orthodoxy. It's what we call, for a 50-cent word in seminary, orthopraxy, right practice, how we were going to be together. 
And the principles were not, at that time, universally beloved as they were professed in that language. Many people weren't very happy that the two churches were merging and kind of went their own ways and started their own churches in response to all of this going on. And within those who remained in this new Unitarian Universalist Association, there was a dissatisfaction with the language as it existed. In the 19, late 1970s, early 80s, Unitarian Universalist women got together for a women in religion conference. And looking over the language, one, they found it awfully gender specific, and two, didn't quite express everything to the fullest extent that it could. And so as they began a movement to try to fix at least the gendered language of the principles, the whole of Unitarian Universalism decided it was time to revisit them completely. They had to. I neglected to mention before that further on in the bylaws, it was said that because this is a living tradition, these must be revisited at least once every 15 years to determine if they still stand for us. And so that's what they engaged in, and they put together a study commission in early 1980-something and proposed a new set of principles. And came to be the seven principles as we know them today, the inherent worth and dignity of all people, justice and equity and compassion and human relationships, and so on and so forth as they are listed in the fronts of your hymnals. Now, the seven principles were not immediately beloved. It's worth noting that around that time, there was a breakaway church that went away because they didn't like change and they tried to go on their own, keeping things traditional as it was, and they didn't last very long. And even after the passage, there was still dissatisfaction with the language. 10 years later, the General Assembly of the Interior Universalist Association passed an amendment to the principles and sources, adding a sixth source to our traditions, that of earth-centered religions, something else we drew inspiration from. And a few years after that, there was a movement to change the word respect in the respect for the interdependent web of all existence to that of reverence. And oh my, there was a lot of controversy about that word reverence, and that did not pass. And further on from that, understanding that gender was wider and more of a spectrum than we believed it to be, there was an amendment to change the phrase prophetic men and women to words of prophetic people, and that did pass. That was changed, and that was in the last 10 years even. And even now, 
as we have been focusing on racial justice in the world and anti-oppression, there's been a movement to add an eighth principle to our statement. Journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. And following the Byzantine pathway of getting the principles amended, the eighth principle passed its first vote at the last General Assembly last year, the simple majority vote that was required. It will need to have a second vote, which is on the docket for this year, and two-thirds of the General Assembly will have to pass that in order to make it official. There have been two attempts now to try to do a complete revision of our principles, of our value statements. In 2009, there was an entire revision proposed by the UUA's Commission on Appraisal. It was roundly defeated, mostly in part because it was presented in such a way that it could not be debated and amended by the members of the General Assembly, by the delegates from our congregation. But as the ball has been rolling on the eighth principle, as we've been looking at adding new statements, the realization that it was time once again to review and revise perhaps our principles arose. And so the General Assembly, along with the board of the UUA, commissioned a study group to look at our principles, our purposes, all of that Article Two, and suggest recommendations for revision to be brought first to the board and then to the General Assembly. Now, I know the principles are beloved today, partly due to the fact that they were published in our hymnals when they came out in 1993. It moved from being just a bullet-pointed list in our bylaws for the organization into something was front and center in one of our important documents, our hymnal. And it's been adopted over time to be used for religious education, for people's own personal statements of value and faith when they're trying to talk about what they believe in and why they are Unitarian Universalists. It's been used for evangelizing. And yet, thinking of Theodore Parker and thinking of how things change over time, the eternal and the ephemeral, I'm left with this thought, imperfect humans create transient things. Nothing stays the same over time. And my thought today is that if we're making a statement of our principles, if we're making a statement of our values as Unitarian Universalists, even though, yeah, it's just a bylaw, we've adopted it to be something more personal, then that statement of value should probably try to intentionally balance what is eternal and what is transient. what is eternal.
here is my argument, my struggle with Unitarian Universalism today, and yes, I struggle with my own faith, I'm only human. That's actually part of my job, is to struggle with it and figure out what I'm doing. My main argument for several years now has been this. What fills the God-shaped hole in our movement? If we are a collection of thousands of individuals, each with their own concept of what God is or is not, what is it that holds us all together? What is the thing that religare, religion, binds us together as a people? In 1976, a man named Robert Miller did a study of Unitarian Universalist values and faith. He asked people to name a wide range of what it is that was important to them in the practice of their Unitarian Universalist religion. And what he found at that time was 50% of lay people, 55% of clergy, named love as the heart of their faith. And interestingly enough, compared to other religions in the nation, we named love more than any of them as the thing that sat at the center. Love is the spirit of this church. In 2003, as we were fighting alongside LGBT folks for marriage equality in Massachusetts at the time where we just happened to be headquartered right next door to the Massachusetts State House. Our president at the time, the Reverend Bill Sinkford, said over and over again, speaking on the issue, we stand on the side of love. Today, we've taken away a bit of the ableist language and now we just side with love but we still do. And that phrase became a beacon call. We turned it into a hymn for ourselves. It was on T-shirts, bright yellow T-shirts. Some of you may still have yours. Mine doesn't fit anymore. Uh, but you would see them everywhere. Parades and protests around the nation, seas of yellow T-shirts declaring that we stand on the side of love. We side with love to the point where across the country a sentiment could be heard when we showed up in our yellow, oh, thank God, the love people are here. The love people are here. Love is the spirit of this church. Love is the thing that binds us together. But friends, where is love? It's not there. Flavors of it exist throughout that whole thing, but love at the center is nowhere in our fundamental statement of values. It does show up once in the six sources, but as one thing out of many that inspires us to be who we are, it is not sitting there as that central value. 
That's one of several reasons why we formed the Article II Study Commission to review our principles. Because we understood more and more that love was at the heart of what we did and it needed to be front and center. And so the commission formed in 2020 and they had three years to do their study and they held listening sessions in person and over Zoom. More than 4,000 people participated in those sessions over those years. They had a survey that went out nationwide and almost 11,000 people responded to it. A lot of people spoke, a lot of people were heard. And they took everything they heard along with some understandings about what it was that the current principles did for us as a faith movement. Yes, they're articles of a bylaw and they're reasons for how we do things as an association, but it is also a theological statement. It's a social cultural, cultural touchstone for many of us. It's an educational tool. It's a personal statement of values. It's rhetorical in how we talk about why we do what we do, what we lean back on when we make statements, when we take action. The other thing they came to decide was that the principles are very wordy, and they are. I have a seminary education. I have a Master's of Divinity from a Unitarian Universalist seminary. I have been ministering here for 16 years, and I could not recite them to you verbatim if you asked me to. I would have to pick up the hymnal and look. They're not really conducive to rote memorization. And so the commission decided that seven words, seven words that would name our values directly might be a little more approachable. They would be explicated further in the document, but they would exist first as seven core values. With love at the center. Love is the power that holds us together and is at the center of our shared values. We are accountable to one another for doing the work of living our shared values through the spiritual discipline of love. Before we even get into the seven words, there it is, clear as day, explicit. Love is the thing that binds us together. And flowing out of love, are our seven values. I appreciate this because I'm a visual learner, so I really like seeing that. I know some people are more readers. I like the image. I still read the rest. And we name our values. Interdependence. We honor the interdependent web of all existence. We covenant to cherish earth and all beings by creating and nurturing relationships of care and respect. With humility and reverence, we acknowledge our place in the great web of life and we work to repair harm and damaged relationships. Pluralism. We celebrate that we are all sacred beings, diverse in culture, experience, and theology. We covenant to learn from one another in our free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We embrace our differences and commonalities with love, curiosity, and respect. 
justice. We work to be diverse, multicultural, beloved communities where all thrive. We covenant to dismantle racism and all forms of systemic oppression. We support the use of inclusive, democratic processes to make decisions. Transformation. We adapt to the changing world. We covenant to collectively transform and grow spiritually and ethically. Openness to change is fundamental to our Unitarian and Universalist heritages, never complete and never perfect. Generosity. We cultivate a spirit of gratitude and hope. We covenant to freely and compassionately share our faith, presence, and resources. Our generosity connects us one to another in relationships of interdependence and mutuality and equity. We declare that every person has the right to flourish with inherent dignity and worthiness. We covenant to use our time, wisdom, attention, and money to build and sustain fully accessible and inclusive communities. Now you'll note um, a good deal of the language of our seven principles is still in there. But they've been named as subsets of larger values that we see them as a part of. I don't know, and in fact, I, well, no, I won't say with any certainty that the study commission had this idea of the transient and the permanent in mind as they put things together. But it looks to me, at least, like they were trying to name something large, things that are larger, that perhaps change over time or perhaps are eternal, that flow out of that eternal truth, which is the love that we profess. Now, I'm not going to comment too much on the contents of the proposed revision of Article 2, because I want you all to develop your own ideas and opinions about them, which is not to say I do not have opinions. I have opinions. Not all of them are positive. But I want you to make your own minds up. I'll just say they're not perfect but perfect is the enemy of the good, and anyone who expects perfection from human beings is just setting themselves up for a lifetime of disappointment. So no, nothing is going to be perfect. But do they speak for us? Do they reflect who we are? Do they resonate with you and the values you may hold in practicing your Unitarian Universalism? That's the conversation as a congregation, we need to have now. So what happens from here? First up, I'm serious about having the discussion. So I want to invite you all to come back next week and join me after the service so we can talk about what we're seeing in here. I'm going to send a bit of guiding questions to you tomorrow to f frame how we're thinking about things. But it's time to hear ourselves as a congregation what we feel and perhaps decide if as a congregation we want to 
support or not the moving forward of this proposal at the General Assembly. While we're having these discussions, the board is looking over the final report and will make their own amendments to it. Not our board, the board of the UUA. And at General Assembly in June, the delegates we send, including from our congregation, will have a chance to sit down and make their own amendments and have their own discussion and present something more final to the whole body of the General Assembly and there will be a vote. It just needs to pass by a simple majority this time. If it doesn't, that's the end. If it does, it'll need two-thirds of the body to vote the following year to be incorporated into our bylaws and pass. So I want to plug General Assembly this year. We're entitled to three delegates, and I am a delegate just by nature of the Rev in front of my name to go out and have the conversations with the wider UU community, to participate in the process of voting and making a decision about whether or not this reflects who we are and who we want to be. And you can go directly to Pittsburgh and be on site and be with thousands of other Unitarian Universalists, which is an amazing experience, I will say. Or if you don't feel like traveling or let's admit it, the whole thing is very expensive. You just want to sit at home and do it on your computer. You can be a virtual delegate as well. We're allowed three. Come talk to me about that if you're interested in being part of this process. Is this likely to pass? Oh, and if it doesn't pass, the eighth principle is still on the docket for this year for that second vote. So there's still a change a coming or not in some form. I'm not sure if this is gonna pass. In fact, the pessimist in me, understanding the history of, of how we respond to change and the changes that have been made, points in the direction of this may not happen. This may not go anywhere. I'm running long, I know. But I don't think the time has been wasted over the last several years in the discussion and the revisitation at all. Not just because we're mandated to have these conversations periodically, but it's led to a lot of learning about who we are and who we want to be 40 years on from when we passed our current principles. And at the very least, at the very least, we have named love as the thing that binds us together in this document. And even if the whole proposal fails, I hope, I hope that we can hang on to that one statement, that one thing that sits at the center of us all. Because love is the doctrine of this church. It is the thing that binds us together. It is the thing that is eternal. It is the doctrine of this church. May it be so.